Welcome to A Canadian Investing in the U.S., a podcast and YouTube channel focused on Canadians buying real estate with host Glenn Sutherland. Welcome to another episode of Canadian Investing in the U.S. Uh, this week, my guest is uh, Stephen Fryer. Uh, Stephen, we, we chatted like, I think it was like two, three, three years ago, 2019 or something. I was looking through our old chats we, way back, back when we were, I was doing even different stuff. Um, but anyway, um, let's give people a bit of an intro to yourself, uh, who you are, and then we'll maybe some of your story and we'll, we'll get into it. Sure, absolutely. Um, so my name is Stephen Fryer. Uh, I'm a real estate investor. Um, I live in Canada and I invest in the United States. Uh, I have 31 doors in uh, uh, Elkhart and South Bend, uh, Indiana. Um, I live in Ottawa and I'm recently retired. Nice. I do that in air quotes because I found after I retired, I, I got bored. And so I found myself uh, uh, reinvesting my time into other uh, sort of businesses. But uh, uh, that's, uh, that's my story. Um, and uh, I think I first started investing in, in real estate in, in 2013. Um, and I was actually in Florida. Uh, I was in Fort Myers where I bought a duplex and uh, was doing some um, wholesaling uh, down there. Um, and my work job, uh, my J-O-B kind of got in the way and I had to you know, focus some time and energy on that. And when I got back again, the economy had like completely shifted. Um, I think there was a, it was in 2013, um, I think Cape Coral, Fort Myers were probably one of the hardest hit communities uh, following 2008 and the meltdown in the US. And, um, you know, you could still find value there. Uh, people might not have been happy about getting uh, uh, an offer that was maybe less than, than market, but they would at least listen to you. Oh, yeah. um, by the time I got back, that market was completely boiling over. And so, you know, you would call somebody and, you know, give them an offer on uh, their, their house and they'd say, you know, I'm afraid we're not eating from the same menu here. Um, my, my neighbor, well, they would do it with F-bombs, generally speaking, but <laughs> my neighbor just uh, had three people. He put his house up for sale and he had three people in the front driveway fighting over it. And I, he got 30, 30% over asking. So <clears throat> I'm not really interested in, in giving you, you know, a 30% discount on the property. So it was kind of time for me to start looking for another market. Yeah. And, um, I found myself in, uh, in, in Elkhart, um, in Indiana. Yeah, that's, a, that's interesting. Actually, we were probably going to talk about something completely different, but I'm, I'm, I'm interested about uh, the Indiana stuff. So sure. I know everyone knows, I, well, I think most people who are doing their research on markets knows that uh, Indiana is a very like uh, landlord friendly state. And then uh, so things have been... Uh, pretty good there. What, what were you, uh, what, what, is that what drew you to Indiana or why? Do you know what? I, I wish I could say it was a significant in-depth analysis on the economy <laughs> of Indiana, on um, Elkhart and South Bend. And that wasn't really the case. I was uh, actually um, networking on uh, bigger pockets. Yeah. And um, in my, you know, interactions there, um, while I was looking for a new market, uh, I found uh, a person who I eventually partnered with. And um, 
she had a remediation business, her and her son, they're just a small company. Yeah. And uh, she had put a house under contract, but didn't have the money to close. So honest truth, I didn't really have the money to close, but we partnered up. I went out and found some private money, um, brought that to the table. We finished up the, uh, uh, the, res the renovation, um, sold it, paid back my lender, and, um, and pocketed the, uh, the profits. And that's what got me into, into Indiana. And I used those profits to buy a duplex and a single family in, in Elkhart. That's, that's an awesome story. But and you know what? Um, I think a lot of people get so hung up on the market analysis and trying to pick the perfect place yeah. for everything. Um, my very first market was uh, Huntsville, Alabama in the United States. And I did a little bit of research. I knew that they you know, was landlord friendly. I'd be able to do rent raises on rent on renewals of releases. And I knew that I could do evictions pretty quick. So that was good enough for me. Um, <clears throat> but honestly, what really was the reason that I bought there is it wasn't far from Nashville. And I liked the idea <laughs> of going to Nashville. And, <laughs> and Grand Ole Opry. Yeah. And I, I'd go there and um, I'd stay in Nashville and I would commute down. And I do business and look at houses and do work during the morning and a little bit into the afternoon. Then I go back up and I'd, I'd come down with my friends. And my friends were just sitting at the hotel, well, sleeping at the hotel all morning. And then uh, I'd get back and then we'd go out and have fun again all day. <laughs> and I'd go back down to work. <laughs> but uh, and, and I wish I could say that there's a lot of sort of attractions in, in Elkhart and um South Bend. South Bend has the Studebaker Museum. Okay. Uh, it has uh, Notre Dame, but uh, it's not exactly the mecca for entertainment, unfortunately. But all the same things about the market to what you described in Huntsville exist. I can do, if I have to have a tenant removed, normally it's within 60 days yeah. they're out yeah. the door. Um, as you mentioned, it turns out that Indiana is a very landlord-friendly state, so there's no issues there. Um, and you can find value. Like I, the way I approach my real estate is, I'm generally speaking, I'm looking to force appreciation. So I'll look for properties that are in distress in one way, shape, or form or another, yeah. um, and then I'll do renovations, put tenants in them. Uh, and then, um, you know, keep them for myself, or if they're uh, not meeting my requirements uh, for my standards, uh, I'll turn around and wholesale them to somebody else or sell them to somebody else, uh, another investor, um, kind of a turnkey operation oh, yeah. Yeah. in that yeah. respect. Yeah. Um, you mentioned before about being getting like uh, retired in quotes, and then you got bored. Um, you know what it's it's funny as you say that it is a concern of mine i'm you know you take all this education and it's all about building systems and working yourself out of the job and as you work yourself more and more out i found all these little things to work on around the house and honestly <laughs> i'm concerned what i'm going to do when i get all those things done <laughs> excellent question excellent question and 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 so for me i mean i i spent 30 years in the public service. Um, yeah. And uh, my issue is a little bit different. I, I uh, it turned out that I had, um, I had a new manager who was kind of, had created a toxic work environment. Mm -hmm. And I actually enjoyed the work that I did. I enjoyed the people that I worked with. 
Um, but unfortunately that changes circumstances, you know, it was having a negative impact on my health, um, on my relationships with my family. When you come home angry every day, it's, it's not a good sign. Right. And so you're forced, we, I guess we could say we were at, we had irreconcilable differences and I kind of had to choose, do you want to continue working and being mad or is it time to leave? And so, you know, I was fortunate because I had already undertaken this sort of road to financial independence with real estate that it allowed me to make that leap. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, like the, it's that old song, you know, uh, um, take this job and shove it. I ain't working here no more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that was kind of what, what happened there. And I promised myself, you know, that cause I had, I had actually matched my T4 income with my real estate. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, I was able to sort of walk away and not have to worry about, um, you know, any impacts. And one of the first things I, I promised myself that I would do, I, I love scuba. And so I promised myself I was going to upgrade my certification and become a dive master. Uh, I retired. I went and took two months and buggered off to Roatan, Honduras, Ooh. and uh, got my certification. And after two months, I'm thinking, well, is that all there is? Um, I mean, as much as I love scuba, I mean, getting up in the morning, eating, going diving, coming back, having lunch, going diving, coming back, eating, being exhausted, going and doing it the same day, the same thing the next day. It was like, oh, I guess there's got to be more to it than that. And yeah. so uh, when I came home, um, I actually hung out my own shingle and I started my own consulting firm. And uh, right now what I'm doing is, uh, uh, in addition to my real estate, um, I'm a, I guess you could call it a, a conflict uh, resolution consultant. Uh, we do workplace investigations into harassment and workplace violence, mediation, um, uh, adjudication, so uh, arbitration. Um, those, those kinds of things. And uh, uh, that keeps me busy uh, in the morning. I go golfing in the afternoon and um, I plan to bugger off again in the, in the winter and go diving again. So that's, <laughs> life is good. That's life, life is good. It's all about doing what you want to do. I love it. And uh, speaking of doing it, like I know we both have children, right? Um, so um, I've been thinking about this a lot too. And so when you pitched the idea of the fire, it was, it really struck home because uh, my kids are still young, but there's a lot of like lessons to teach people. There's a lot of things to go through. And you mentioned that you were, your, your kids were working on, or your boys were working on uh, some fire, which, you know, for people who don't understand what we're talking about, they think we're literally talking about, a, you know, a bonfire or something. My beard's not on fire. Man. No, <laughs> we're talking about like financial independence and retiring early. Right. Um, so how, what kind of age group are your, your boys in and what, what are they, what are they trying to do right now? When I started investing in the U S I did it by myself and had to go through the growing pains of doing that glensutherland.com slash coaching a 12-week coaching program done one hour per week over zoom from the comfort of your own home classes are kept to five people to be able to answer everyone's questions shortcut the process make fewer mistakes curriculum available at glensutherland.com slash coaching uh, my boys are um in their 20s they've just finished university now and they're in i guess they're sort of embarking on their you know first jobs and their and their first you know 
stab at a career. Um, and following sort of my experience uh, with the, the government, we wound up with a lot of sort of discussions about financial independence and, you know, um, a lot. I think at school, there's probably not a lot of discussion about financial independence. And in, in our day, um, you know, I, it was kind of a taboo subject. I think when I was growing up, my parents never talked about uh, finances uh, with us. And so, you know, I made it a, a point to, to sort of talk about the importance of being financially independent so that if something bad happens, you, you have options. And that was kind of what was motivating me. And so we've had a lot of discussions in the last couple of years about it. <clears throat> There's sort of many ways to, to skin a cat when you talk about financial independence. I mean, oh, yeah. the, when the FIRE community talks about financial independence, they're essentially, for, that, for, for us, I should say, um, financial independence is when you're no longer reliant on that T4 income, when your assets are producing sufficient income to match your expenses, then you're considered to be financially independent. You can, that's your FU money. You can walk away because you're not reliant on it. If you choose to continue working because you enjoy what you're doing, more power to you, yeah. but you're financially independent. Um, when I was growing up, I'm thinking of the old Freedom 55, right? My goal was to be retired by 55. And, uh, um, you know, I, I got started late trying to realize that goal. But, you know, from my real estate perspective, I, I, uh, I managed to sort of do it in about five years. Um, it, it, the boys are talking like between the, by the time they're 35, 40, you know, they want to be financially independent. And so the question is like, how do we go about doing that? And what are the different methods that they can use? And so that's what a lot of our conversations sort of revolve around. Um, you know, the standard kind of response for becoming financially independent is you look at the 4% rule. And for those people who are wondering what the 4% rule is, um, that's, uh, it, it's a general sort of economic assumption that you amass amount of money where if you withdraw 4% of that money when it's invested, um, the investments will continue to provide you with returns of at least 4%. So presumably you can continue to withdraw that 4% of the income out every year and not have to worry about your initial nest egg diminishing or disappearing. Okay. Um, and uh, but that's, that's an expensive date, man. Like, yeah, you got to collect well, all the money first to get there. Absolutely. Like if you, if you decide that you need $50,000 to retire on, that's $1.25 million. Yeah, exactly. Divided <laughs> by, by, by 4%. Like that's $1.25 million you got to amass, um, assuming that you're getting a 4% return. So like that's, that's, that's challenging. And I had to, I looked at different ways. Like how could I achieve this goal? And for me, real estate was a more effective tool to do that. Like if, you, if you're building assets that are providing you with monthly income, then um, you, you know, I'm doing it the same, I'm, I'm achieving the same goal, but it's gonna cost me a lot less. And I'll give you an example. In South Bend, I can buy a house. I'll use $50,000 as an example right now um, for, for this. But uh, let's say we buy a house for 50K, the average rents are um, $750 a month. Um, 
So if I assume the 50% rule, I'll need probably what, 10 houses approximately, or 10 doors, I should say, in order to achieve $4,000 a month, which is $50,000 a year. Yeah. Um, so 10 times, I'm assuming they're single families, 10 times uh, $50,000, that's 500K. I've achieved my same goal right. for, for less than half the price. So when I say there's many ways to skin a cat, that was how I went about it. But there's lots of other things that that people can do. You could start a business. And um, if you can automate that business, like you said, with systems and processes that allow you to walk away so that it's passive income, well, that's another way for you to generate monthly uh, revenues. Um, you could build a website, for example. Yeah. And if you get that website uh, generating $1,000 a month, how many websites would you need to be able to do that? Um, so if I'm, that's four websites at $1,000 a month, and I'll bet you five bucks that it's not going to cost me $500,000 to get four websites. No, no. <laughs> a little bit, and, maybe it could be more work, uh, depending on what your background is. But, yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm just, I think the point is for the guys is we're having these discussions about what are some of the things that we can do to kind of generate this kind of monthly income for them. Because my goal, to be honest with you, because I, had, I knew I was going to have a pension and my, yeah. uh, I was going to be taken care of, my, my goal really wasn't so much for me when I talk about passive income. It was more to create an income stream for them. So when I, when I passed away, I had a legacy to pass on to them, but now we're at a point where, you know, someone, I was in a mastermind and someone said something to me that really resonated. They said, you know, when you just give somebody something, they don't really appreciate it. And it's one of the reasons why a huge number of businesses that got passed down from generation to generation fail because the children don't have the same commitment to it that the parents did because their why isn't, isn't big enough. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I guess, you know, I, I can teach the kids to, I can give the kids a fish. Yeah. I'll feed them for a day or I can teach them how to fish and feed them for a lifetime. And so right now that's what we're doing. We're working together, you know, as a family to develop these different income streams for the boys and they're going to do the work. And they're going to develop it themselves and they're going to they're going to sort of go through their fire journey and we're going to document how we go about it and uh, they're going to explain and blog about it so that uh, we can share their experience so that's kind of where we are as a family uh following you know the whole fi thing so if your kids want to participate uh we'd be more than happy to have them yeah well my kids are a little younger so i don't know if that works but i, I i'm that I have a seven and a five. So, <laughs> um, but you know, there is still lots yeah. of stuff to teach them at that age, right? That's absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I think that even my, my son, because even being seven, he's, he's just picking up on things that he's like, my dad's at home. My dad, yeah. <laughs> and, and he's not at home, like working out of the office. He's like, he's in the back shed working on tinkering around with whatever he feels like. Um, and I think that the, he sees the, the benefits that he's still at the age where he, he doesn't understand the work that's went into being able to be able to do that. Right. Right. Um, which that's, that is, you, you hit the nail on the head though. It was very concerning to me, like just the, the legacy wealth of just handing it down. Like you don't want us, 
you know, they, they can blow through it so fast. Um, and one of these things dawned on me years ago, um, back when I had a job, um, I was in the boardroom and we were moving offices and I was just looking around to see what kind of interesting stuff. I and I found one of those big novelty checks. I'm not even joking. Like the full one is like a whiteboard eraser thing. You could write, you could write on it, you could write it off. So for fun, I wrote myself a check and I was like, well, how, how high do you write yourself a check? Cause it has to be reasonable. If you put too much, people aren't going to believe that you actually want it. Um, <laughs> so I think I put like $10,000 on it. And I, uh, I took a picture of myself and I posted it on Facebook and you would believe like people were just like, oh, you want to let money? Take me to the bar, do this, do that. You know, can I get this? Can I get some money? And I was like, I gotta take this photo down. And I was just like, what, what would happen if you actually won like the real lottery? Like, right. you, and it really made me um, think about my future and, and how, how you'd run everything. It, it translated to how I would give money to my kids. Um, and that, so that's where I'm going to go with this. Um, but what I, I did was I went, okay, if I actually won this, there'd be all these people that were going to say, hey, can I, can I have this money? You know, can I get some money? I need, I need a loan for it. I need a new car, everything else. So I went, you know what? I'd make it so I don't have any money, right? And so you're like, but you're like, well, how would you do that? Well, I think I'm like, I just take the whole thing and buy a bunch of apartment buildings, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> buy a bunch of apartment buildings and uh, you could set up entities. And this is what I came up with is I'd, uh, you know, for family and stuff and my close friends, you set them up with chairs. No one's going to like, um, you're not going to like kill them with um, giving them too much money because you hear about those lottery winners that blow it all or, or everything else. And you're like, no, you just give them a trickle, a trickle that's enough to improve their life. <laughs> um, and, and that's, it's, it's concerning to give a whole pile of money to kids, even when they get into their twenties, right? Uh, I, I don't know if I was responsible enough when I was in my 20s. I would say I wasn't. Uh, I would no. say I wasn't. My mother describes money and me when I was in my 20s like water running through my fingers. <laughs> so uh, I was clearly not responsible enough then. No, but I still had the entrepreneurial bug in, in my 20s, right? Um, I, I created a bunch of companies. Um, you know, they didn't lose money. They didn't make a lot of money. And I found... Uh, I think it helped me lead me to the real estate because I, I, I sort of I, I built a screen printing company and it was one of them like making t-shirts and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I didn't want a company that was going to be so labor intensive. Every mm -hmm. single thing was it took labor to produce everything. And um, back then I had in my head that was um, it was all about a product, right? And building a product. And I'm like, eh, that's it, it makes sense, but it uh you got to build these products because <laughs> I also did like junior achievers in high school, which would be another good way to learn business um, from that. But I was always about stuff. Um, I can't, my parents got me at like, I must've been eight years old or something. And I'd taken all the ice cream out of the freezer while my parents were away. And I set up a stand in front and I was making milkshakes. <laughs> it didn't actually, uh, you know, for me, it was pure profit. <laughs> but I don't think it actually well, when money. the cost of your, your goods is zero because <laughs> you're taking it from the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah. So anyway, maybe to get us back on track a little bit, but so I know that you were talking about businesses and you're talking about real estate. So um, without having, we have to go into too much detail, but which, which way did you sort of lead your, your boys to start? Like, what was it? Was it the real estate way? Was it the, a business way or what? 
good, good, good question. I, I, I think it's up to them to decide, right? Like, so in our conversations, my youngest, Alex, is in Indianapolis, actually, right now. He's doing a fix and flip. Nice. And him, he's uh, just graduated from um, Queens. And him and his uh, roommates started a, a, a business. Uh, they've, uh, it's a limited liability partnership down there. Yep. Um, but they're, uh, they're doing fix and flips in Indianapolis. They did their first one last year. And uh, they tapped into some of my contacts in order to find uh, uh, some private money to fund the, the, uh, the process. Um, and uh, they're doing their second one now. Uh, my oldest, Zachary, you know, he, he looks at me, he goes, Dad, I see how hard you have to work with your tenants. I see how hard you have to manage with the property managers and the contractors. He goes, I don't do any of that shit. What a pain in the ass. I think I'm just going to lend money. And so, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's putting some capital together um, himself and uh, that's sort of his approach. So I think everybody has a different approach to yeah. doing things. And, um, you know, it's not for me to decide for them how to do it. I think it's no. up to them to choose their path. Um, I'm kind of, we're kicking around the idea of creating kind of like a Friar family office. Yeah. yeah. Um, if for those of you who, who aren't familiar with, you know, a family office, it's kind of like a, a boutique investment firm for the uber wealthy right and so they manage investments uh, the taxes the corporate giving for the for the family even travel plans and things like that um, and so we're going to sit down and do that and do it as a sort of a family unit so if we're going to if we're going to start a new business for example then one of them is going to have to take on the responsibility of starting the business and we'll work it um yeah work it that way sorry let me just flip that off and we'll work it uh, we'll work it as a business um as an investment and we'll start it within our our uh, our family office so that was how we kind of decided to to approach it and we'll, everybody's ideas uh, will be uh, will be considered and we'll we'll work on them i love that I, and i love the idea of like working with the family and getting it building stuff together um I know I heard the quote way back from Bill Gates and he's like, I'm, I'm not giving any money to my kids, but yes. I'll be the first to invest in any of their projects. <laughs> and I love that idea too. Uh, I have a, a mastermind that I was participating in and uh, one of the, one of the, um, uh, the members has a, a lending business in the U S and uh, he set up a, a, a family office. His kids are your kids age. Yeah. So while he doesn't, he can't really give them the project to run with it. They still have their meetings once a month and he'll go over the numbers oh. you know, as a family unit and say, here's what we're doing this month. Here's is how we're performing. And uh, so there's always a conversation in his household, you know, about uh, business and finances and doing it as a family unit, which kind of resonated with me. And that was kind of what got me started on this idea of, you know, creating our own family office. Yeah, I love it. And I, honestly, I think I need to put more work into it because I think there's a lot of uh, uh, ways to, to teach my kids as we go, right? Um, yeah. well, I think a lot of it is to teach them uh, to solve problems. It sounds as, as dumb as that sounds or simple as that sounds. Um, uh, I, I constantly am trying to drill that into my kids because um, you know, real estate's a vehicle, but like what we, what I do is I solve problems, right? Yeah. 
<laughs> and uh, it, it's you're going to have problems when you're six years old, or five or three, and there's just there's you can figure out ways to solve it. You can figure out ways to do this. And um, maybe I shouldn't. One of my other guests, who's actually one of my friends who comes on here at the show all the time, um, he was telling me that he had his uh, his daughter and they went to like just a play date with another guy who they're both real estate investors, but their kids are just playing together. And um, they, they just were sitting there and they heard the kids like fighting and his daughter said to the other daughter, she's like, OK, I'm going to make you a compromise. How about you take the doll for the first five minutes, but then I get it for 20 minutes if I wait second. And they sat there and thought about it and then they agreed on it and went and I'm like, for him, he's like, wow. He's like, I, I, this has worked. This has worked. I, you know, just, you know, delayed gratification and um, negotiating, finding out what they want, making it work for everyone's favor, right? And, uh, but anyway, I was, I love that story. Um, so I found a good spot to slip it in, but. Um, <laughs> That's her marshmallow. <laughs> Have you ever heard that there was a uh, psychological study with young kids about delayed gratification? And um, they gave them a marshmallow and they put them in a room and said, listen, if you wait for 10 minutes, I'm going to leave you here by yourself. If you wait for 10 minutes, when I come back, if you're still there, I'll give you two. Ooh. And then they left and they videotaped the kids and they're fighting with themselves oh i can't look at it don't make and they're trying and some of them are eating it they can't stand it they can't delay their gratification and some were able to wait and then they did a longitudinal study they looked at these kids over time and followed them and i think the finding was that those who were able to delay gratification were more sort of economically uh successful in life i'll have to look it up but yeah uh, your daughter is well on her way because not only is she delaying her gratification but she's uh finding that uh, property at a discount and she's enjoying the appreciation on it on top of it <laughs> yeah no it's awesome uh stephen was there anything i was i should have asked you that you had in mind you wanted to chat about no i i, I don't think so Okay. One of the things that just occurred to me when we were chatting here, though, is maybe we want to have a second date. Maybe yeah. what we could do is have the boys come on, I love and that. you can ask them about their goals for financial independence and how they plan on achieving financial independence. That would be um, awesome. That'd be awesome. We could have some uh, millennial, I don't know, actually, they're too old for millennials, but they, we could have some younger perspectives on um you know how to achieve fire and uh and and what their why is you know because it's i think that's really important to understand why you want to do it because as you mentioned if just amassing a certain amount of money is this is the only goal when you amass it you're going to be asking the question well is that all there is like what's the next thing on my plate so i think it's important to kind of define that kind of stuff and maybe let's ask them yeah man everything you say makes me think of other stuff too but like a lot of has happens to rock stars they have this this massive goal and they get to yeah. the point where they actually achieved everything and then they don't know what to do they haven't they don't have a goal set up that's bigger than the goal they're working on and they finish their goal and then they get to the top and more often than it should happen they either drown themselves in drugs and alcohol 
yeah. or end up killing themselves. And that's that's they're so goal driven, and they don't have a next goal. <laughs> it, it, it's it's interesting, right? Because uh, I was I was really affected by the four hour work week when I read it. It oh, really um, motivated me. This idea of being able to set up these muses, I guess, or small businesses um, that generated revenue, so that you could go passively, so you could go do the things that you want in your life. Um, and life was for him was for for Tim Ferriss was like just one big adventure of traveling around and seeing the world and getting different experiences and he could define that differently in every country kind of that he went to. Um, and, and and so I, I think, you know, for me that's kind of, you know, that was my goal was to be able to have passive income that would allow me the freedom to go around the world and see different things, different experiences, and, and, um, and have both the time and the, the money to be able to do it at, at my leisure. But for every person, it's a different goal. And you know, some people, it might just be like staying at home, and it might change over time with your life experiences, but it might be just being able to stay at home with your kids and not have to be a full-time parent and to be there for them. That might be your goal. And maybe that changes when the kids are older and in school and now you've got more free time. And so you, know, you might find something else, but life, I think life, as we go through different stages, perhaps changes what your goals are. And the idea of being financially independent allows you to constantly sort of reevaluate and change what those objectives are so that you're not trapped in anything. Um, I think I remember hearing a story one time about Kevin O'Leary. He said, you know, he he also had read the four hour work week. And you know, after his first business that he sold, um, he thought that he could do that. He's just going to go live on a beach somewhere. And he said, after about six weeks, I was bored and I came back and started writing another business. So uh, I think for those of us who are sort of uh, career entrepreneurs uh, and who are constantly, um, you know, have that uh, that itch that needs to be scratched, you, you would probably get bored uh, doing it. So, um, well, that's honestly, even with myself, I, I do get bored. Even I get bored with the businesses and, but I've learned a lot since the, my original <laughs> businesses. And if I can work myself out of the business and I can work myself in, start a new one and build it out and slowly work myself out so that I can have something else, something new to challenge me. Right. <laughs> yeah. And if you could build, if you could build that business in a way, like you said, that you can make an exit and have it continue to run passively, then that's just another income stream towards your final goal of, of you know, financial independence. Love it. Stephen, people wanted to get a hold of you. Uh, I don't know if you want to be tracked down or not, but if, <laughs> if you wanted to, uh, if you have contact. I don't have this really big check, so no one's going to really be chasing me. <laughs> But but if, if anyone wanted to, to pick your brain um, about like, you know, financial independence or some maybe some tips if with what they're doing with their kids, uh, what's the best way to track you down? Um, uh, you can reach me at a to z uh, stephen.fryer at gmail. Um, and we're going to be setting up uh, a, uh, a Facebook page um, uh, and a website for the boys journey. And we're going to call it Beards on Fire because everyone's got facial hair. Yeah. So um, uh, you'll be able to find us there. That's awesome. I'm going to find it. I'm going to join that as soon as, is it up already or should I wait a little no, bit? No, we've, I've got the website uh, name. We're in the process of uh, building it up right now. 
and uh, I'll it be might be soon. out by the time this airs because I think we've probably yeah. got a two month lead time right now. Oh, now. do you? Okay, so then it, it may very it will likely. Let me make a promise to you then. If it's two months as a lead time, yeah. I promise you it will be up by then, and people will be able to find us there. And if anyone's listening and they're shocked to say, "Whoa, whoa!" Glenn records his podcast two months out. Glenn records his podcast two months out going into summer because financial independence, retire early. Do you know what I'm not doing this summer is recording podcasts. I'm going to have <laughs> my kids are going to be home and I am going to spend time with them. That's what was important to me instead of sitting in my office recording these things, even though I love doing it, there is still better things to do with my time. Two, two thumbs up there, brother. Your priorities are in the right place. Yeah. All right. Thank you for coming on the show, Stephen. I really appreciate it. No worries. It was my pleasure. And uh, we'll connect and we'll set something up for the boys to come on. Perfect.